As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, where every Wednesday we pick out an article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and put the authors under the spotlight. Moves it in, ah! kicks off, and it's Xavi! Lifts it home for the goal! It's classic Barcelona football! What do you mean in? Chelsea, Premier League champions for 2017. It's, a, it's an amazing moment for, for us to celebrate this, uh, this win. Today, however, we're going to focus on Barcelona legend Xavi Hernandez and what feels like his inevitable return to manage the Catalan Giants since Ronald Koeman's sacking. Plus, as one legend of the club is poised to replace another, why a growing list of big clubs are turning to ex-players to save them. There are actually a host of articles related to Xavi and Barcelona up on the site right now from the likes of Dermot Corrigan, Michael Cox and more. But senior writer Dom Fifield kindly joins us to discuss it further. And also I'll be speaking to the brilliant Andy Mitten, one third of our Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils and a revered journalist who has spent the best part of 20 years between Barcelona and Manchester writing extensively about Spanish football, Pep Super Team and interviewing the likes of Xavi himself on multiple occasions. So let's bring in Dom right away because Antonio Conte is set to be announced as Nuno Espirito Santo's replacement as Spurs boss. Here's what our Tottenham reporter Charlie Eccleshare had to say on our Spurs podcast, A View from the Lane, yesterday. I think Conte clearly is is an elite coach and getting him would be amazing, but it does continue this theme a bit for me with Levy, which is he's very much reactive. He's not a visionary. I mean, Conte's best work is quite possibly behind him. He's done amazing things. But just like Mourinho, or going back, Andre Villas-Boas, obviously not the same level, but he's someone who Chelsea have already hired. I don't know, I just feel like there are other chairmen who might roll the dice, or it's not even rolling the dice, just might have a bit more knowledge on a wider level than just going for what seems like the safest pair of hands, the surest fire hit. A bit like when England got Capello in a kind of like, well, right, we've tried everything. This guy's guaranteed success. A bit like what we thought of Mourinho. Mourinho cannot fail. You may not like him, but he will win trophies wherever he goes. I hope, And I think Conte will do well and it won't end like that but it doesn't feel a million miles off from that sort of appointment so Dom it's been a, a whirlwind couple of days to be honest hasn't it from the United game that result to Nuno's sacking on Monday to this what's your reaction and what's your thoughts on on the story so far well I, I share a lot of what Charlie has said there in in, in that clip in as much as the Nuno thing the, the Nuno appointment seems quite pointless really <laughs> if I'm honest I mean they should have just put Conte in charge in the summer and I know that that was that, that he would have taken a lot more convincing but but clearly they, they they can convince him now they could have made more effort to convince him back in the summer 
and we would have been spared this rather awkward and clunky arrangement with with Nuno that I think really from the outset everybody realised wasn't going to work. So so Tottenham effectively are playing catch up now in terms of their season and their rebuild or their latest rebuild if you like. But I, I actually I, when it, when it comes to whether this is a an ambitious or um, I don't know a, a, a visionary appointment. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good appointment. I think Antonio Conte. I don't think, I don't I disagree with Charlie when he says that his best days are behind him. Well, actually, there's, there's no evidence of, of of that. I think he will approach this position with all the the hunger and enthusiasm that he's had when he's gone into any job. Um, I, I think we're going to see that in, intensity that has been his his trademark in in recent positions. Um, and and he'll make the same demands of his players that he did at, at, at Chelsea and he and at Inter Milan and with Italy and Juventus before that. I mean, it's it's I, I, he will he will get more out of those players and he will play a, a style of football that that is more in keeping with what Tottenham want their team to be playing. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's I think it's brilliant. It adds a, a yet another subplot to the whole. Spurs and Chelsea rivalry when they when they meet up next time. Given the the, the political fallout at, at Chelsea um, during his his latter days at that club, the latter season really, um, and I can't wait to see his his intensity and indeed his his hair in, back in the Premier League. I think it's a great appointment. I, I, I agree with you that Charlie saying his best days are behind him. The guy is a serial winner. Every club he goes into, he wins something and he improves them. They might only get two or three years out of him because he doesn't tend to stick around that long. But you know, he's got a proven track record. And like you say, why they didn't do more to convince him in the summer when they've ended up after 10 games going to him anyway is beyond belief. And what can Spurs fans expect from this appointment? How different is it going to be to Mourinho and Nuno? Well, I think it'll be more ambitious out on the pitch in terms of the style of play. Uh, obviously, the, this is his first, I think it's the first time since 2007 that he's come into a club without a pre-season behind him. And his his preference would always have been to, to sort of get people up to, to scratch fitness-wise, um, up to scratch in terms of the, the style of play that he wants to implement in that pre-season period. So he's been denied that. And that will make his job harder uh, in the weeks and months to come. However, if you go back to the Chelsea time, in, back in, in 2016 when he came in, Be- bearing in mind that Chelsea had finished 10th the previous season, um, that had been the Mourinho season, as, as Conte referred to it, um, where they'd been struggling against relegation in December when Mourinho got the, the chop as the defending champions. And Gus Hiddink had, had instigated a bit of an upturn, but it had been utterly tedious and he just ground out results, a lot of draws, and they'd finished mid-table in their lowest ever placing under Abramovich. He had no European football um, to take on um, in his first season at the club. Um, and he started off pretty well. He had, I think he won his first few games, so he made an immediate impact. And then it tailed off quite dramatically for a, a few weeks. And, then, and there was uh, the incident at Arsenal um, where they're 3-0 down at half-time and he implements a change in structure and formation at, at the break uh, and, and switches to a 3-4-3 that ultimately won them the title that season and I'm I'm sure that they would have been in training they would have tried that 3-4-3 out in the build up to that Arsenal game they, it wouldn't be something that completely alien to them uh, on that group of players at the break but it's still an incredible incredible transformation to implement um, and bearing in mind that he won that title in the 3-4-3 with Marcus Alonso who really hadn't pulled up any trees um to date that season as a Chelsea player and it always felt a bit of an afterthought and a sort of a, an ambitious well no an optimistic signing let's say from Fiorentina and Victor Moses playing at right wing back who he was a right winger throughout his Palace and Wigan days he wasn't he was never a defensive player and yet he won the title at a canter that season with, with those guys playing at wing back so he clearly is a manager who can make an immediate impact and can get his ideas across to players and raise their games there's a lot of talent in that Tottenham squad. I, I, I think he'll have a, a real galvanising effect on them. And, you know, the, the teams that are going to be playing Spurs in the next few months are, are in for a lot tougher ride than they 
the teams that played Nuno's side and and you know all those all those three nil defeats and the three one at Arsenal. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing too many of them in the in the weeks and months ahead. Well, there'll be plenty of Conte content coming up on The Athletic and you can keep right across all that and all the developments at all the other Premier League clubs as well by signing up to The Athletic for 33% off at the moment. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. Big Athletic Football Podcast. Welcome to Andy Mitten from our Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils. And Andy has spent over two decades between Barcelona and Manchester writing about and interviewing the likes of Xavi and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Andy, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to join you. First off, can you just bring us up to speed on the Xavi and Barcelona situation? Where are things at the moment? Well... Do you want the official version or the unofficial version? Officially, Xavi is the manager of Al Sadd in uh, in Qatar, and he's been very successful being manager there. Uh, unofficially in Barcelona, everybody expects him to become uh, the next uh, manager. Um, for that to happen uh, very soon, we've got the international break coming up. So people expect it to happen after the international break. Um, the contracts have not been signed yet, but that that is. Uh, that is the word on the street and, and around the club. Of course, stranger things have happened when we've expected something to happen and it hasn't happened, but that's what people are expecting. And they're really looking forward to bringing Xavi back uh, at Barcelona. And on Saturday, Barca had a crowd of 37,000. That was their lowest weekend attendance for, for 20 years. And I spoke to some of the season ticket holders. Why? And there were multiple reasons why, but one of them was that we need to dream and Javi coming back will help us dream again. Now you can argue for and against that football fans should support the team through thick and thin, but Javi coming back will definitely reignite an enthusiasm that has been dampened by recent events at Barcelona. That was the exact word I was about to use there. If, if ever a club needed reigniting, it is Barcelona because for their impeccably high standards that they really are in the mire at the moment and they need something to get excited about, don't they? Yeah, you have um, a club which on one hand won one league title between 1974 and 1991. So anyone listening to this thinking that Barca won the league all the time, well, actually they didn't. They were still a huge club. They still bought some of the best players in the world from Diego Maradona to, to Gary Lineker. And Real Madrid tended to be more successful than them. But what happened in the 90s under Johan Cruyff um, set off a a period when Barcelona won trophies to match their status and then Pep Guardiola followed on from the success of Frank Rijkaard as manager. And it was Guardiola's template, which had been inspired by Johan Cruyff, which then set Barcelona onto a, a run of sustained success from 2004 to 2019. And they attracted converts around the world who almost took it for granted that Barca would reach the last eight, last four of the Champions League year after year, because they did. And now that's not happening, and people are looking at the league table and not seeing Barca first or second, people are wondering what on earth's gone on. Well, a lot has gone on, and most of it has been bad, and the root of the, the issue is, is the financial meltdown, which led to them moving on players such as Luis Suarez, most famously um, Lionel Messi, Antoine Griezmann, most of their stars and you've got an aging squad as well there's lots of young talent there and there are other reasons why Barca struggled they let their their famed youth system um, fall by the wayside um, maybe they got bloated by success they got greedy with things like ticket prices and it has come apart um, catastrophically so far this season Barcelona are ninth in La Liga ninth this is unheard of they, they used to come through the Champions League uh, group stages with ease after three or four matches almost. Mm. And now it looks doubtful that they're going to go into the knockout stage. Despite like, all the romanticism around Xavi going back, and it, and it would be a massive deal because he's one of the best players in their history. From, from everything you're saying to me now, it's not an easy time for an inexperienced manager to go into, despite the fact that he, he knows Barcelona, he knows the DNA, he, he's played there, been a great player, as I say. Would you not say that there's it, it's more suited for a more experienced manager to go in? Because it's some job anyway without taking into account all the stuff that you've just said. Yeah, it, it's a very, very difficult job for anybody. 
And I think the first thing he needs is assurances that there's going to be patience here. Hmm. On one hand, it helps that Barca are low. Can they go even lower? Probably not. Because they do have some very good, talented young players, some experienced players. They've been very unlucky with injuries so far this season. The ground's been half empty. That's not helped. Things, realistically, they should pick up. Uh, but no Barca fan I speak to expects them to be winning the league this year. Top four would be seen as an incredible um, success. And we wouldn't have been able to have a conversation like this really since 2001. I mean, that was when um, Rivaldo scored a hat-trick in the last game of the season against Valencia to get Barcelona into Europe. Year after year, it's all been about Champions League. So Xavi's been offered the job before. Xavi has long been a, a favourite, a shoe-in. People just expect him to become Barcelona coach. It was a, a matter of when this will happen, not if it will happen. And from his perspective, he would always push back and say, actually, not only am I very happy here in Qatar, my family are happy here as well. He's not living in the, the pressure cooker of, of Barcelona. And the first time I interviewed Xavi, he'd just broken through to the first team and He's from Terrassa, just outside Barcelona. So that might be Croydon to London or Rochdale to Manchester or Solihull to Birmingham. And he talked about how his life had changed, going into the centre of Barcelona, being recognised all the time. And did he love that? Not really. I actually think he's had a very tranquil life in, in Qatar and he's been there for a long time. He's been integral to their World Cup um, bid and and progress as the country builds towards hosting the, the, the World Cup with some criticism for doing that it has to be said and I've always felt that he's going to return to Catalonia as a proud Catalan he's a, he's a Barca fan his family are Barca fans and let's be honest if you're a, an ambitious football manager it's okay winning the league in Qatar great good for you but if you can return Barca to greatness then that would be a sign of greatness. And he's played under the absolute greats. You know, it was Louis van Gaal who gave him his debut, ironically, against Manchester United in Europe at Old Trafford. He told me a story about that, how he just was there thinking, I'm not going to get on the pitch. And suddenly, oh, you're coming on? What, me? Yeah. And then obviously Guardiola. And it's a cliche to say DNA, but he knows the Barcelona DNA better than, than anyone. He's played more games for Barca than anybody on this planet is seen as a stable person. There are not doubts about him because he's out partying all the time. He's he's seen as a good egg and clearly his football knowledge. And I've interviewed him many times and in my profession, people, friends will say, what's he like? What's he like? And for a long time, I would say the most and least interesting people are both at the same football club. And the most was Xavi Nandez. And I've interviewed people like Roy Keane who are absolutely fascinating. Xavi Nandez, I loved speaking to him. I've been out to Qatar to see him. And he would say he once said to me, Why are the seats at Newcastle United um not black and white? Why are they grey? And I'm thinking, why on earth are you even thinking about this? I love it that you do think about this. He gave me the quote, uh, my favourite player for a long time to watch was Matt Letissier. And that was for a magazine. That was 13 years ago, that quote. And that obviously got quickly back to Matt Letizier and went the 2008 version of, of viral. And suddenly, you know, Matt Letizier's riding on this wave. Xavi's, not only has he heard of me, but he thinks that I'm great. And I just throw him like random questions to try and catch him out. And, and I couldn't. And I'd say, you're just a complete football geek, aren't you? If I asked you about what division are we for in now? And he'd go, Segunda B. I'd say Konea, um, Tessera, my friend's assistant manager there. And his knowledge on Spain was amazing, but he knew so much about English football. For someone who's never played in England, although Man United did try and sign him once, um, his knowledge was just incredible. We had, we've had chats about Charlton Athletic. Xavi talking about Charlton Athletic. Where's the link there? There isn't one. No. Except for being a, a football geek then, how else has he been preparing for this role at this moment? Because like you say, it's been inevitable that at some point he would end up as Barcelona manager. I just think mentally in in his mind, he would have a very clear idea of the players he wants to keep because he'll be watching every single Barca game on, on television. I think it irks his current club that it's taken as a given that, that he's going uh, back there. But... You know, Bar uh, Xavi's got good relations with uh, the current 
President Juan Laporta. He came to power in 2003. Xavi was establishing himself in the first team. Um, well, it was firmly established by that point. He knows everybody. He would have, if you mentioned any Barcelona player to Xavi, he would be able to tell you 100 things about that player. So his depth of knowledge on the players, on the systems, He's worked under Guardiola. He's worked alongside the best players in the world. He's seen the egos come and go. So while he's not managed at the highest level himself, he's been there. And mm. I don't think there's any uncomfortableness about him coming in because the greatest managerial appointment in Barcelona's history was their B-team manager, Guardiola. And it didn't matter to them, not to all of them anyway, um, when... He asked Juan Laporta, he said, you, you've you not got the balls to give me the job. And, he'd, and, he, and he gave Guardiola the job. And within a year, they'd won some, like, six trophies and were the best team uh, in the world. And I, I say that as someone who was in Rome in 2009 for the Champions League final and, and who wasn't supporting Barcelona. How similar is this appointment to the appointment of Pep then back in 2008? Are there a lot of similarities, would you say? Club legend, intelligence, cerebral... Um, hugely respected, but the club is in a in a more perilous state mm. than than them. He doesn't have Lionel Messi. You know, Lionel Messi, whatever he added to Barca's team, he certainly added a lot. Whether that was 10, 20, 30 percent, and there is no Messi. Okay, Ansu Fati is very talented, and maybe he'll become great, and maybe Usam Dembele will become brilliant as well. He's had too many injuries, so it's difficult to make a judgment on him. And Pedri's a fantastic player. Yeah. There, there are really, really good young Barcelona players there. Serginio Dest is is very good. Araujo, the defender. Um, they, they've got top, top players there in spite of losing so, so many players. And Barcelona as a club remains so attractive. Even now, I reckon if you went to the top players of Manchester United, Liverpool and Manchester City... Say, would you prefer to swap your club like for like with Barcelona right now and your salary stays the same? I think you'd be surprised how many say yes. I really do. Because there's a lifestyle thing as well. It's a great city to live in. I don't think it's much of a sell to their partners. You know, would you like to go and move to, to Barcelona? And the problem for Barca is they can't compete now with the biggest English clubs on wages. So Xavi will be walking into a trouble club. You've got Jordi Cruyff who he once played with um, as a, a sporting director. So Jordi too, uh, he was offered a position back at Barcelona so many times, but he stayed in China. So there's similarities with him. And he's come back and he's in a very powerful role there now. But it's all right having a powerful role. You need resources to do your job properly. Barca cannot go out and spend the type of money that they've been spending. And some might say, overspending and wasting by paying far too much for some of their uh, top players who didn't really work out. The best example of that would be for, for Philippe Coutinho and they probably overspent for Dembele as well. So Xavi will have strong opinions. He will have seen all of this happening. He will be given full control. But of course it is Barca. In opinions, um, judgments are quick to be made. He will benefit from the fact that they have been so bad. And I think Barca have had a real reality check. And this is a club who sacked their manager recently, not Koeman, Ernesto Valverde, when he was top of the league, having won the league in the previous um, two seasons. And, and I thought that was disgraceful. I thought that here you had a brilliant coach, very popular with his players, league champion in his first two seasons, but because he hadn't won the treble or whatever winning six trophies is in, in, in Catalan, there were people who went against him and there was a, lo a lot of noise on social media against him. And he did get hammered by Liverpool, his team. They did get hammered by Roma, but I'm sorry, they were league champions and it was a mistake to sack Valverde then and it looks even worse uh, now. But because Barca have, have slumped, Xavi will come in and will benefit from this reality check. You know, he will not be hammered if Barca finish third. Hmm. People have seen the reality that actually we're not beating Alaves at home. We're losing to Real Vallecano away. We're really struggling here. So there will be a surge of optimism. People will get behind him and that will come from a low point, but he will have to deliver as well. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking of this lot like, recent trend in football of club legends going back probably at the, the start of the managerial career, really. I mean, Arteta, to Arsenal's credit, they have given him time and he, he's had time to try and sift through a lot of damage that's been done over the years. And it looks like at the moment, I know they've had many false dawns, they're coming out the right end of it. But I think of Perlo at, at Juventus, I think of Lampard at Chelsea, where things haven't gone well and it's ended up being a short-term appointment where perhaps if those players had waited till later on in the managerial career... They might have got, got a bit more time after having a bit more experience. Would that be something that would worry you about Xavi? Or do you just think he will get time? He'll get time relative to Barcelona time. But you've always... He'll have a political game to play uh, as well. But what is Barca's plan B? Of course, it's a results business. Of, of course, he'll be expected to win far more games than he loses. But he does actually have uh, very good good players. Um, we don't know what the situation is with um, Sergio Aguero, but him being ruled out at the start of the season was another negative for Barcelona. So with a fair wind, he could bring an identity back, back to Barcelona. He could them young players could continue to mature. Um, there's not just Pedri, there's Gavi who's coming this season. He's very young as well. And the number of games these lads are playing, Pedri, he played, I think, 75 games in the calendar year up, up until recently. And this was a guy who was playing in the second division for Las Palmas in Spain up to 2020. And now he's one of Barcelona's best players. Frankie de Jong's an exceptional player. He's lost his way a little bit. There has been some signings where people might say, you know, Luke de Jong, would he have signed for Barca in, in their prime Martin Brathway, they're good players. They're, they're, they're very good players, but you're comparing everybody with Messi and Neymar and every, almost everybody's going to come up short. So I think he will be afforded more patience because he's a former club legend, um, but he will still have to deliver. I wouldn't envisage a situation three years down the line where people are saying he's going to come good. He'd have to come good sooner, sooner than that. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has nearly been in the job for three years now. And it's not unfair that he's being um, viewed critically now. Hmm. Um, but I, I think the, the managerial fuse in Spain is a far shorter one than at clubs like Manchester United. Yeah, you're just talking about the players that have perhaps lost their way a little bit. Because you, you've, you've met Xavi a few times, I, I want to ask you this. What, what, what would he be like as a, as a man manager? I think he's a good person. I think he, he has the ability to engage on different levels and that includes with journalists i think he's a smart guy yeah and not just because he's a football geek and we have these random uh, conversations you'll find a lot of younger barca players who say he was a good influence with me when when i was coming through even if they didn't quite make it he was never called uh seen as being a, a bad influence in the dressing room there were times where Lionel messi's ego was was so big and he was so powerful that that was a double-edged sword. Um, Xavi, he wasn't quiet like uh, Iniesta might have been uh, in the dressing room. He knew his place. He knew he was brilliant. Um, but I think he would... Um, I think he'd be a good communicator with the press. He knows the internal politics of the club as well. So he can deal with that. He's got a strong enough personality to, understood, to understand the internal politics. To deal with the media... Um, he speaks well, he comes across well. Um, in, I mean, he knows his football. If you're a blagger, you're going to be found out. He absolutely knows everything th that there is to know. And put him against anyone and he'll absolutely hold his own. So this was a point Luis Enrique, one of his uh, former contemporaries, made recently. And it really put a lot of no noses out of joint in Spain. He basically said, I, I don't read anything that you write because I think I know more than all of you. <laughs> and... Unfortunate as that sounds, it's probably true. Because he's, he's, Luis Enrique and Xavi, they are absolutely at the top of their game. They were as players, uh, as as coaches in terms of their football knowledge. The step is just there for Xavi now to, to stand on. And while I've got you, yeah, as a Manchester United fan, having seen how it's gone for Solskjaer recently in particular, how would you assess his time as manager? Obviously, that, that returning club legend theme. What has he got right and what has he got wrong? And is there anything Xavi can learn from, from what Solskjaer's done? We're talking now after a very bad run for Manchester United. So yeah. people might be listening to this through a prism of, of negativity. Whereas if you'd asked me after the opening day of the season when 
you know, United scored five or a few weeks after that when Ronaldo had come back, it would be much more more positive. But I think Solskjaer has actually done a good job. Uh, no, he hasn't won trophies and he needs to win trophies. And now is the time that he needs to be winning trophies. Um, the spirit of the club definitely improved. Um, brought in young, smart analysts, coaches. Now, they don't look quite so smart at the moment because they're losing matches, but this is what he's done. He's good with the media, Solskjaer. He's not great with the media. He's very good with fans, connecting with fans on a personal level. Um, and fans like that. Uh, he understands that after a game, go to the away fans, applaud them. Jose Mourinho, I told Jose Mourinho to do this. And he said, but isn't that for the players to do? And he, Mourinho wasn't being snide with it at all. He just didn't didn't know the culture of the club hmm. like Solskjaer would. And then a few days later, Solskjaer went to the um, Mourinho went to the away following at Sellers Park, and, and everyone loved him for it because the team were playing well. And you, you're the manager; you part you can be a hero as well. So Solskjaer's recruitment has been good. He's put some good players in. Uh, there are black marks against him because some of the plays he's brought in are. I've not yet to convince. Jaden Sancho has not done anything yet. Donny van der Beek, you think, why is he signed? Because he's not actually playing. But you could say the same about Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, recruitment is is an imperfect science, and no no manager gets it uh, ten out of ten. But as we speak at the moment, support for Solskjaer is probably at an all time low among Man United fans. That said, I was at Tottenham and I heard eight different times when Manchester United fans sang Solskjaer songs so people really want him to get it right but it's a difficult job and Barcelona's a difficult job when when the Barca ship um, writes itself when it gets back onto a relatively even keel when it gets through this stage of, of being hit by Covid and realising okay we can no longer have the highest wage bill in the world which they did have as recently as 2019 but we've still got a huge wage bill. We will still be able to sign top players. We know we're hugely attractive to clubs. I think with a fair wind, he can do a good job. And can he learn from what Solskjaer's done? He will learn from every manager that he's he's played under. So Andy, we've already spoke about the trend of, of club DNI and ex-players ex coming back and managing their, their former clubs. Does Xavi kind of embody the, the best of both in that he's got that that club DNA, but also he's, he's going to have the ability as well? Childhood fan, came through the youth system, played for the club throughout his entire career until the very end when he, he moved to Qatar, won absolutely everything, played more games than any other player in Barcelona's history. He could not be more Barca than what he, what he is. His family are all culés. Uh, they go to the stadium to, to watch the team play. In terms of the style that he plays, I remember once interviewing Philippe Cocu, who played in the same team as Xavi, and he said, you cannot change the system here. You cannot change the formation here. It's just not allowed. We're not allowed to go 4-4-2. And Xavi was a proponent of that. Xavi is from the school of Cruyff and Guardiolaism, if you like. They won everything playing that 4-3-3 playing the, uh, a system which will allow for minor tweaks, and Luis Enrique tweaked it at times, but I would be absolutely stunned if Xavi suddenly started playing the long ball with 4-4-2, two big English centre-forwards. He knows what has worked for Barca. Football has changed. He's not someone who will always hark back and say, this was how it was done. I think he's a really tactically sharp person. Um, he's a complete football uh, geek. And with a fair wind, I think he could be a great coach as well. Yeah, four three three never goes out of fashion at Barcelona. But it's been great to talk to you, Andy. You've got you've got me excited for what could possibly unfold for Barca and hopefully for them happier times ahead. But thanks ever so much for talking to me today. Thank you. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast, and we'll bring Don back in to talk about why coaches with little experience but plenty of the club DNA are in fashion next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Dom, this has been a, a trend in recent years, former players going back pretty much at the start of their managerial career, actually, to, to clubs that they used to play for. It, it all stems back to, to Guardiola, fan favourite, not really retired that long. Everyone still can remember his success on, on the pitch as a, as a player and then he comes in as a manager. Do you think that kind of broke the mould and kind of set the trend? Yeah, possibly when it proved successful. I think that when, when other clubs saw how, how well Guardiola did um, and the fact that he knew that club and knew what that club wanted, um, it probably set a bit of a trend going. Um, I think generally, though, generally speaking, when when clubs are doing it these days, it's it, it feels more like they're they're seeking. It's part of a healing process mm. within within the within the club. I mean, Frank Lampard is the the most, I suppose, one of the more prominent examples in the in the Premier League of late. And you, you have to look at the the context of his appointment at Chelsea um, back in the summer of 2019 come on the back of uh, Antonio Conte's rather difficult second season in charge um, when they hadn't they'd finished outside the top four albeit they won the FA Cup Maurizio Sarri had come in for a year and the the overriding memories of, of Sarri's season in charge okay they, they won the Europa League and they had spells of of, of good play in, in the Premier League but you know, if, if, if the one thing stands in the memory, it's 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 the Chelsea supporters at, at Cardiff chanting "fuck Sari ball" over and over again. I mean that 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 was that was the that is the memory of of Maurizio Sarri's time. He was not accepted. It was it was an appointment that actually split a fan base. I mean, almost between match going fans and and fans from around the world who really wanted Sari to work. And I think those present. Uh, a lot of the guys that were present in the grounds just just weren't having him. I mean, and the, the discontent was overflowing. It was it was it was a really difficult period. Chelsea knew that the FIFA ban was coming up as well, so there was going to be a period where they were going to have to rely on in-house players, players nurtured by their academy. And Frank Lampard, as a figure who'd cut his teeth, albeit at Derby County in the Championship at that at that stage, he could have a restorative effect on the club. He could galvanise the fan base again. He could get people behind behind the team, behind the club. It, it, it felt a sort of healthy appointment. Um, it got everybody on side. And okay, for that first season, it, it ended up with 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 COVID and 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 fans not actually being around. But the reality was, I think everybody got behind him. Everybody appreciated the circumstances in which he had been appointed with the FIFA ban and. and it just felt a refreshing time to be back at, at Chelsea after the, all the schisms of the of the Sari and and, and Conte tenures, um, and I, I think that probably is the case with a lot of clubs when they when they turn to a sort of former icon or uh, a, a talismanic figure from the past, regardless of their experience level as a coach in the dugout. They they're seeking something else. They're seeking. Uh, the the club to be restored that they're seeking it the health health to be restored to, to a certain club and and to get everybody on side it does feel like a, a lot of the times that these appointments are made it's when a club is in crisis a crisis of identity mm. of culture of confidence and in some ways it's the right thing to do in order to win back a lot of the fan base. And I think in the context of Barcelona, it will do a lot. In the context of Chelsea, it did huge amounts to bring in a club legend. But it's not always the right thing to do, right? So how do they get the balance between needing success, which big clubs like Chelsea and Barcelona do, but also winning over a pretty dejected uh, uh, fan base? I suppose you could use the Manchester United example on that front as well. I mean, it, these things work for a while, and then and then I think after a while you're justified in asking whether where is this going. I think mm. that was that was the case with Lampard, the first really difficult run of that second season, and 
he was out all the ruthlessness of old came back with with Chelsea and the yeah they swung the axe and he he was on his way and 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 the the sort of upgrade in the in coaching ability that came in with Tuchel um justified that decision and has justified that decision and I suppose that's why that's you'd, you'd imagine that somewhere at Manchester United they are thinking along the same lines I, I know we're recording this on the back of a convincing 3-0 win at Tottenham which has cost Spurs them Spurs' manager his job but but you get the impression that's just the latest little high in, in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time and there'll be plenty more lows to come of it if it's prolonged I, I guess they're probably they, these probably are finite um, situations they, they are sticking plasters unless unless the, the coach coming in seriously uh, proves his credentials and his pedigree like Guardiola did I mean it, that, that one worked and, and he was clearly a genius and and everything everything was in place to make that uh, that move a success uh, a, lot, a lot of the others yeah they feel like sticking plasters they feel like temporary situations temporary let's just raise the mood of the club let's just get things back on an even keel and then we'll reassess it in a in a year in in 18 months and in, in two years and if the progress is maintained then great if not then maybe we by then uh everybody will be united the culture will be restored and we can we can look as if we can kick on in a different direction again which is what chelsea did they were they reverted back to type and appointed a manager that immediately won the champions league i mean it's I don't think you get... He had Chelsea supporters at Newcastle chanting Thomas Tuchel's name for the first time at the weekend. I mean, really audibly hearing the new Thomas Tuchel chant. And that was almost like a moment where you felt, well, obviously this bloke is completely accceptive and, mm. and they all, they're all backing him to the hilt. I mean, they'll, they'll all still love Frank Lampard. His, his chant, you know, rears up regularly as well. But I think they recognise that they've... they've They've got a, a man in charge now whose who's, who's pedigree was established and maybe the quality is slightly higher than, than the coaching staff previously. Do you, do you think as well, though, it's just like an, a naive hope from football club owners and, and boards that they're going to strike gold? Looking back at what Guardiola's done and think, well, if you're a brilliant footballer, you must have a brilliant coaching brain. Do you think it's also an naivety there to think, or oh, one of them's bound to work? You know, if, even if he's a club legend, it's still that culture, that that sort of nostalgia. Do you think they're just hoping that they're going to be a good coach? I suppose that goes. That element goes into goes into it when you were appointing a rookie. Yes, definitely. That that will be part of it. And it, I imagine, further down the pyramid, this happens all the time. I mean, these guys start their coaching careers somewhere. And Joey Barton, I mean, he's one of them. He's sort of dropping, dropping down the EFL and never quite sticking at any of those clubs. But, but there'll be others that go the other way, others mm. that, that that kick on and 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 do really well. There's always an element of risk whenever these guys are, whenever you're appointing a relatively untried or um, untested untested head coach there are other examples I mean even in the Premier League this summer okay he's not an icon at, at, at Crystal Palace but Patrick Vieira's appointment represented a big risk a massive risk and it, likewise he wasn't he wasn't a, a candidate that was initially really in the reckoning he was part of the first wave of, of interviews but they never they never went back to him and offered him the job they, they went to to, to Nuno actually when 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 he became available at Wolves he he became their priority and then when that didn't work out and he went quiet on them they went to Lucien Favre and it was only when Favre had cold, got cold feet and that Palace turned back to Vieira now at the moment that looks like an inspired appointment it looks as if he is a, a head coach that has maybe more at ease at, at Palace with that group of players and that club philosophy than he was actually at Nice in France and his in his previous role in European football as a, as a coach but you know let's reassess that in a year's time and see where we are there um, it's there, it's always an element of risk and I suppose there'll be an emotional attachment to, to the guys going back to former haunts where they, they've they've done so well in the past but that doesn't guarantee them that, that you know that they won't be sacked uh, particularly in the sort of high pressured environment of the Premier League I'm looking back at Arteta getting hired at Arsenal he kind of feels like the, the, the double whammy high because he played for the club and he worked under Pep, so he automatically ticks two 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 massive boxes there, doesn't he? Worked in the in the Premier League, obviously, as, as well. But these managers need to be to be given time. They, they, they you can't just get rid of them at the first sign of crisis. And to, and to give Arsenal credit, which I don't do very often on, <laughs> on podcasts, you know they they have stuck with Arteta, and it does feel like even if they were to hit another sticky patch, 
I feel like they'd give him time. Mikel Arteta wasn't an Arsenal legend as a player. No. I mean, he was he he came there towards the end of his playing career. Really, he just he was from Everton and and, and he'd been at Rangers. He'd been at PSG. He'd been in, in in Spain. I mean, it was it was it was uh, yeah. He he. he <laughs> It was really his work with Pep that, that made him a standout candidate. And, and so there was a logic to that appointment. That's quite a shrewd appointment. Yes, there is a little bond there. He does know what he's coming into. He knows about London Colney. He knows about Arsenal as a club. He knows the culture that's running through it. But actually, what we want him to bring is a bit of Pep. That's what we That's what we need. Dan, you, your club, Dean Smith, I know, he is, he's Aston Villa through and through, isn't he? I mean, but... Yeah. He's now enduring a, a difficult moment. Do you, do you think that they'll that they'll stick with him? I mean, is, is, does does his association with Villa give him a bit more longevity there? I think it's more that he's he's got credit in the bank because of what because of what he's achieved. He obviously got got us up, kept us up somehow, and then stabilised us. So there's been improvement every single year, and I think a lot of sensible fans will realise that this was always going to be a little bit difficult when the club's been so Grealish centric over the last five years or, or so. So. I think to an extent he does get a bit more credit from people because he sat in sat in the stand as, as as a fan. His dad was a steward, so I think he does get credit based on on that a little bit. And the fans that that want him out at the moment always point back to the fact: well, if he wasn't a Villa fan, the fans that are supporting him wouldn't wouldn't give him time. So I guess it, it can help in, in in some respects. But once you start losing games, whoever you are, you, you're under pressure, as Lampard found out. One club is obviously sniffing around for a new manager, and we know they've looked at club legends in the past it didn't end up going particularly well but obviously Newcastle embarking on a new era uh, David Ornstein's broken a story about Unai Emery potentially heading to Newcastle let's hear what he had to say Hi guys David Ornstein here from The Athletic and today we brought you the exclusive news that Newcastle's protracted managerial search to succeed Steve Bruce following his sacking by the new ownership at St James's Park is down to two candidates and they are Unai Emery and Eddie Howe. Now there have been so many different names in the frame but it has been a proper and thorough process. It's involved I think now three rounds of Zoom calls um, and those two guys uh, have emerged as top targets and within that the preferred candidate as I understand it is Unai Emery, the former Arsenal, Paris Saint-Germain, Valencia manager, currently working at Villarreal. He's under contract until the summer of 2023. He had a decent first season, of course, winning the Europa League with victory over Manchester United. It hasn't been so smooth this time round. They're on a pretty poor run. If Newcastle are to take him from Spain, and they are in formal talks, we understand, with Villarreal, they would have to pay them a compensation fee of around €6 million euros They would also, of course, need to reach an agreement with Unai Emery, who I'm told does want the job, but only if his terms are met. And currently, Newcastle have not met his personal terms. He wants to be paid around the same sort of figure that he was on at Arsenal. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, but it's what a manager of his level would expect. And there is no agreement yet. So talks continue. Then we have Eddie Howe, of course, who uh, we know so well from Bournemouth, and he's not been in a job since he left there. There will be some reservations over the fact that he took Bournemouth down uh, and hasn't had a job since, but he he performed miracles there, really, in relative terms and was also linked with massive jobs, including the England job. There will be people within the game that think Eddie Howe would be a better appointment. The sort of feeling I've gauged since we broke this news on The Athletic is that there would be quite a lot of excitement around Emery, who's currently managing a Champions League club. It feels to me that it's there for the taking. If, If he wants it, it's his job. Um, and that's a, a real significant development um, and it would be very interesting to see how it pans out if he does come in. Uh, we saw it didn't go to plan at Arsenal but there were plenty of encouraging signs. There were also a lot of mitigating circumstances and I suspect that he feels that he has some unfinished business in the Premier League. But it's important to stress this deal is not done. The talks are ongoing and we'll see how they develop. So yeah, Dom, where do you think, where do you see that heading with with that bombshell today? Well, I'm I'm intrigued by it. I I have no idea which way it will go, to be honest, because it's it's on the face of it, he, he's clearly a very very good manager, stroke head coach. 
the success that he enjoyed at Sevilla and Villarreal has has been staggering and his sort of love affair with the Europa League is is maintained um i can't say that he lit the the world alight at will put the world alight at arsenal <laughs> first it it didn't really i, I don't know i i prob, i'm probably slightly biased on that in that i've just i just found his his press briefings mind numbingly awful and uh, which again is it doesn't really matter what his his press briefing is like if he's if his coaching is 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 outstanding out on the on the training fields and you'd like to think that 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 clearly is an asset of his um but it's it's quite a job to be taking on um at Newcastle given their current predicament i watched them on saturday in fact i've seen them the last two saturdays and they've they shipped 75% of the possession at, at crystal palace which was completely unprecedented and 78% of the possession to chelsea at home at the weekend uh they they look very very brittle and and confidence wise i mean it's obviously been an utterly traumatic season for them so far so it's a massive ask for Unai Emery to go in there having been used to relative success for the last few seasons and even when he was at Arsenal he was competing at the in the other half of the table and getting to a Europa League final etc um it's i i i'm yet to be convinced that that would be that that one will work but it's going to be fun seeing how it plays out just doesn't feel like the right fit for a relegation battle and the players that Newcastle have at all. You know, if I'd have had to pick out three names who I thought might get the Newcastle job, he definitely wouldn't have been on my, on my list. Mm. Just I'm staggered by that, to be honest. Eddie Howe is, is, is clearly the backup, and given the number of ex-Bournemouth players at, at Newcastle... Yeah, that doesn't at least make sense. Yeah, exactly. There's a logic to that. Um, do you but think look, they want? Do, I, I mean, Eddie Howe is obviously a name in English football, but do you think they they wanted someone a bit more glamorous because they are at the start of a new brand? I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say Emery's the most glamorous <laughs> appointment, but you know, in relative terms, from look, a one up from Eddie Howe, he's won he's won European trophies. You know, he's been at a big big London club, kind of ended in tears, but he has got a bit more of a name. His pedigree's there. I mean, it's it's an ambitious appointment in that regard, given his his CV and the, the the trophies he's won. But this just feels a very different scenario to come in. Mean, look, at that. they're in a really difficult position because they've got ambitious owners who want to take the club forward. But the reality is, the next certainly through to January, that they're going to be struggling near the the wrong end of the the table. Um, they might instigate something of a revamp of the playing stuff if if they can in January uh, it's difficult in that mid, mid-season window obviously but but that should then you'd think carry them clear of the relegation zone so they're almost having to appoint a manager now that that will do very well in the short term to get them out of a relegation scrap but also then kick on next summer and make them into a force that can, into mid-table beyond into, into European qualification places and Maybe they see that in in Unai Emery, but ambitious, yes, risky, definitely. It almost feels like the next appointment to me, Emery. It feels like it's it's one appointment too soon for me. The other thing that would worry me as a Newcastle fan is you said you said it there, Dom. Yeah, Emery is obviously the first choice, and then Eddie Howe's the backup. <laughs> but they're so different. Yeah. If you if you back if, if if something happens to Emery now and he doesn't get the job, and Eddie Howe comes in. They're just they're just completely different. That doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah, it doesn't smack um, of a of a coherent philosophy as yeah. to what you want. But then, as I say, it's such a muddled time and it's such an awkward situation for them to find themselves in um, as they as they try and ally this desire to be ambitious and and to to reinforce this image and 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 impression that they are going they're probably mobile and they're, they're, they're targeting europe ultimately and silverware ultimately um with the reality that they are second bottom of the premier league and and look pretty rudderless at the moment it's yeah it's it's not an easy one and and let's bear in mind that eddie howe was relegated the last time that he was a manager i mean that his last act as a as a manager was to take bournemouth down off albeit after of doing well, relatively well for a few seasons there, and brilliantly to get them up into the Premier League in the first place. But yeah, it's a it's a really really strange one, and uh, oh, it's it's fascinating. It's gonna it's gonna be a a brilliant brilliant plot line for the rest of the season and beyond. 
And I mean, in terms of Newcastle, it's, it's kind of crucial as well that they do make an appointment that does unite the fan base. They are crying out for an appointment that will do that. They're not going to go down the nostalgic route, but they've got to find something that's going to give the fans hope of actually staying in this division. And that's kind of, you know, what this whole sort of uh, love affair, romantic idea of who is your football coach is, is is who's going to be that person that you're going to fall in love with and is also going to do a good job at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a, there's a yearning there. There's a, a desperation to have some hope back. And that was always the big problem under Ashley, that there was never any hope. There was never any... Uh, ambition to to kick on to the next level and and you know you can sense it around the club. He sensed I sensed it on on Saturday. I, I, Twenty years back, I I worked up there for a year and uh, for a season when Bobby Robson was the manager, and it wasn't even a very good season under Bobby Robson. I think they finished mid table. Um, I've, I've got a feeling that Sunderland finished above them in the table. I think Sunderland finished seventh that year, but but even then you could you felt as if the club were about to take off and indeed they did they qualified for the Champions League in the in the years that, that, that followed um, and Bobby Robson provided that that focus and, and 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 got everybody together everybody united everybody moving on and that's what this club is yearning for it's desperate for a, for that to for progress for for a, for a plan for something that's going to kick them on and and yeah, well, look. If you're Unai Emery and you're sitting there and you, and you you look at what Newcastle might have to offer now, fifty two thousand passionate supporters turning up at St James's Park every other week. The okay, the structure needs work. They need the training ground needs revamping. The the academy needs work. But but the enthusiasm and the desperation for success is there. And if you feel as if you can tap into that and 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 deliver that, then you're automatically going to be hoisted up into that. You're up there with an as an icon. You're up there. You're leading an army. You're you're basically galvanising everything. I mean, it must be a fantastic opportunity for for people to look to look at. And all these guys will have the confidence in themselves and their own ability that they can. Even with that squad, they can kick them on. They can keep them up. They can build. They can take them to the next level next season. And you know, if 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 we consider that Unai Emery probably overachieved at at Sevilla and, and Villarreal with the the resources that were at his disposal there, then he will look at it and think, "Wow, I, I'm going to have a hell of a lot more resources at my disposal at Newcastle," and that that club could be primed for success in the years to come. I want to be a part of that. Thanks ever so much for talking to us today, Dom. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Still time to highlight some other great writing up on the site right now. And Flo, I believe you've got something from an up-and-coming writer. Yes, I'm going to shamelessly plug my own piece. Um, I sat down with Ashley Plumpter, who plays for Leicester City in the WSL. um, And she's got a really interesting story, actually. She recently got called up to the Nigeria women's national team. She's yet to get a cap yet because there's a lot of sort of paperwork and admin to sort out because she's played for England uh, at junior level. But anyway, I sat down with her for as long as my cheapskate Zoom would allow me. It actually timed out right at the end. I had a minute countdown and I was like, Ashley, I'm so sorry. It's going to, it's going to end. Um, but yeah, it was a really amazing, really amazing chat with her. And 
I mean, I've interviewed a lot of footballers and I think it is rare where you don't really need to ask a lot of questions. They just kind of like talk. She actually DM'd me saying, I'm really sorry if I sort of talked at you. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like you just kind of sat, it was nine o'clock in the morning and she just sat and sort of opened up her heart and soul, her whole journey into football, uh, her family. And she spoke kind of so openly about being mixed race and 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 the journey that her stepsister's gone through her and her stepsister are both mixed race but her stepsister has a darker skin tone than her and has and has also different hair texture to her has more afro hair and it's been really difficult for her stepsister at school and Ashley kind of spoke about how her decision to play for Nigeria so much of it is about sort of showing solidarity to her sister and and showing her sister that she kind of wants to represent her and her sister in the world and also to really learn about her Nigerian heritage. She qualifies through her granddad who was born in Lagos but moved to Leicester sort of decades ago um, and she said it's been a really amazing opportunity to kind of learn about the country to actually get to go to Nigeria to learn about the culture and yeah it's just a really really amazing chat with her so I would recommend people read it uh, not just because I wrote it no got a, got a future that young journalist Flo Lord here she's, <laughs> she's definitely got a future so yeah that article from Flo is part of the Black History Month collection so there's been stuff all over the athletic for the last month or so so just head to theathletic.com to check all that collection out yeah and you can read all the articles we've mentioned plus Dom Fifield, Andy Mitten and so much more by subscribing today for just £3.33 a month just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod Nice one, Flo. So thanks to you and thanks to our two guests for their contributions today as well. And of course, thank you to all you guys for listening as well. Please, please get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcasts, if you are enjoying the show, then if you could leave us a good review, that would be excellent. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will be back with another episode tomorrow. So hopefully you will join us again. The Athletic.